Using an overpriced trash bag. Pricey, pricey, pricey. A bag that breaks. Whippy, whippy, whippy. Or a smelly bag. Stinky, stinky, stinky. Time to switch to hefty, ultra strong trash bags, always at an ultra low price. Hefty, hefty, hefty. There are best bags yet, and they cost less than Glad Force Flex were sold head to head. So you'll be happy, happy, happy. Hefty, ultra strong with Arm and Hammer odor control. Available at Sam's Club. Hefty, hefty, hefty. Blog Talk Radio. And I Live is brought to you by Help Race International and is made possible by our sponsors, Teva Pharmaceuticals and the Griffin Foundation. I am your host, Katie Jackson, and today our guest is Dr. Joseph Higgins from Unicure. Dr. Higgins is the Vice President of Clinical Development at Unicure. He is responsible for the early development of clinical gene therapy trials for neurological disorders. Prior to joining Unicure in 2018, Dr. Hennig uh, was responsible for all neurological diagnostic tests at Quest Diagnostics and was the federal, okay, this is the CLIA license holder for specialty laboratory. He was formerly a professor at Cornell Medical College, where he was the principal investigator of several private foundations and NIH research grant focused um, clinical neurogenics. He He held the senior leadership position he held many leadership positions in genomic medicine um, at the state. Okay, so I'm going I'm to probably get this wrong, but let's see. The, at federal and state levels. So he had through the NIH and also through the DYSDOH, which is the New York State Department of Health. At the NIH, he was part of a human GMO project and teams that initiated the first inhuman enzyme re- enzyme replacement at the gene um, uh, and gene therapy clinic. Okay, so this is like his his bio is so amazing, and I can't even believe he's working on HD. It makes me so excited. So let me let me just there's just a little bit more. So bear with me. He discovered the genes or the loci of several diseases, including Parkinson's disease, a central tremor, ataxia, intellectual disability, which is ID and uh, metabolic disorders. He um, created a transgenic mouse model for proof of concept studies to treat non-syndromic ID. He is a fellow at the American Academy of Neurology and board certified in pediatrics by the American Board of Pediatrics and Neurology with a special qualification in child neurology by the American Board of Psychiatry and Neurology. He has authored more than 100 peer review publications, books, chapters, and review articles in the field of neurogenetics. He is licensed to practice medicine in Maine and New York. Dr. Higgins earned his bachelor's degree 
um, from Marist College and medical degree from New York University. He completed his residency in pediatrics at the Children's Hospital Harvard Medical School, adult neurology at, at NYU, and child neurology at Children's National Medical Center, George Washington University. He completed a three-year fellowship program at the NIH in neurogenetics and um, metabolic neurology. Oh, my goodness. He is amazing. Um, I don't think there's very many people walking this earth like him, and we are so, so thankful he is at Unicure, um, a company that's looking at HD. So we are very, very thankful. Um, So I would like to welcome you, Dr. Higgins, to the show. And um, I would like to start by um, having you tell us a little bit about Unicure. Sure, Katie. Well, thank you so much for inviting me on the show. Uh, Unicure has been around for a long time. It was founded in about 1998. And as you see, we call our drug AMT-130, and that stands for the Amsterdam Molecular Therapeutics, which is the first name of Unicure back in 1998. In February 2014, it changed its name to uh, Unicure. They employ 200 employees in Amsterdam, which is mainly the research and development part of the company. And then here in Lexington, Massachusetts, uh, there's another uh, 100 or so employees that mainly uh, focus on manufacturing and clinical development. So you may not know this, but Unicure was the first gene therapy company to actually commercialize its gene therapy um, in, the ni- late ni- in the late 2000s in Europe for a disease called lipoprotein lipase. So they have a lot of experience in gene therapy and are a leader um, in, in several areas, including hemophilia B, who we're currently in a phase mm-hmm. three pivotal trial. And as you know, in, in hunting disease, we just received FDA approval on January 18, 2019, to enroll patients in a phase one, two safety, efficacy, and uh, exploratory uh, safety and tolerability, and also a trial to explore efficacy, efficacy signals in Huntington's disease. So, gene, I mean, gene therapy is very exciting. And what's really exciting about it is that you can treat patients with a single treatment. So, this is a one time uh, treatment, and then we would follow patients along for a period of time to make sure that the, um, the gene therapy is working. So there's three elements to gene therapy. Um, first, you have uh, a Trojan horse. In our case, this is called adeno-associated virus serotype 5. And inside that virus, we genetically change it so it's no longer infectious. And that what it really does is act as a Trojan horse to deliver a transgene. This transgene, in our case, carries a microRNA that silences the Huntington uh, RNA as well as protein, and therefore would turn off uh, the accumulation of this abnormal protein. We also have, uh, because of this uh, AAV5, we have the best-in-class vector delivery system with this gene cassette, and that took them uh, decades to develop. Um, also, what's really important is the manufacturing process. So here in Lexington, we have this big facility where we actually uh, use insect cells and baclovirus, uh, and we worked out this manufacturing um, process for well over a decade. And so they have a very strong patent position because of the the unique development of this process, but also has been a leader in the entire industry in setting the bar of a large-scale commercial-grade facility that could rapidly go into clinical trials once we're uh, successful. The facility is about 55,000 square feet uh, here in Lexington, and uh, the drugs are manufactured under GMP production capabilities, and they support all of the uh, programs so far. 
so besides hemophilia A, we're also exploring uh, clinical trials in hemophilia, I mean, hemophilia B, we're exploring trials in hemophilia A, spinocerebellar ataxia type 3, which is another CAG repeat disorder like Huntington's. But our showcase um, uh, trials right now are hemophilia B as well as Huntington's disease. It's unbelievable. And I, I think the one thing that's really interesting, as you just said, like it took them a decade to even develop that. I think as patients, we sit and we, we hear about things and we don't realize that how long this has actually been going on and to get the FDA um, a, a, a approval to move forward into clinical trials is it's like it's taken years for that to get to that point. We don't really start hearing about it till about now. Um, yeah. But it's been being worked on for a very long time. Um, yeah, not only not so only the, the gene therapy part, but also just the every, all the ancillary services that go along with that, like how do you deliver the drug, the neuroimaging part, the digital mm -hmm. technology, mm -hmm. the measurements of clinical uh, efficacy. Uh, just the laboratory tests have been so sophisticated in the last five to ten years that it seems at this point mm -hmm. in time that all these things have converged, and it's really one of the first times in medical history where you actually can uh, do this realistically. Yeah, and and I, I, you know, I find it so interesting. People talk about gene therapy, right? And we hear about this all the time, and it seems like there's, I, I don't, there seems like there's a whole bunch of different types of gene therapy out there. Am I wrong at that? Like, this is like you're talking you know, about one dose and yeah. silencing. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, there's different types of gene therapies. The general categories are there's gene replacement therapy. So if you want to replace a protein that's non-functioning, you would put a a gene in um, the, the, quote, Trojan horse or the AAV or other vector, and that you deliver it to the brain that was deficient in that particular protein. However, with Huntington's disease, as you know, there's a gain of function where you actually have an accumulation of a protein in the brain, so you really want to stop the function. Uh, in this case, you put a targeted micro-Huntington RNA that actually travels into the cell to the nucleus to turn off the messenger RNA which then in turn uh, turns off the protein. So th there's, di there's different types. Gene therapy is distinguished from um, antisense oligonucleotides, which is not a, it's, that's more like a drug where you have to have uh, repeated infusions or repeated administrations. That's very different mm -hmm. than, than, than the AAV or viral gene-mediated therapy where you would inject into the cell and in our case, the microRNA, we know, stays in that cell for a very, very long period of time and keeps working. And in fact, we have evidence that not only once you inject, it transduces the neurons where you inject it, but it then by what they call retrograde and integrate transport, travels up the axons to the nerve cell bodies into cortex and the other deep gray matter structures. So, yeah, there's, there's different types of gene therapy. Yeah, yeah. Um. That's, yeah, because I was kind of wondering when I read the press release, when we first got the press release uh, from Unicare that came out that we'll talk about in one sec here, um, they, I, I thought I, the thing that jumped out at me is one dose. I was like, one yeah. dose? Um, you know, obviously this has to still go through clinical trial, and, but I was like, how fantastic if, if there was one dose. Um, yeah. But... My, you know, yeah, I, I'm used to medicines that are constantly, even with a brother with CF, all his therapies yeah. are daily. Um, uh, so one dose is pretty Well, you don't have to worry about compliance, for that's for sure, because, you know, I mean, myself included, if I have to take 10 days of antibiotics, 
have a hard time. I said, boy, did I take that last pill? You know, so it's very mm-hmm. difficult mm-hmm. to remember medications in general. But here, there's no, yeah. you know, you're going to get this medicine, and it's there for the duration, and you don't have to worry about taking something again, um, So, right. which is really good. Yeah, so yeah, the delivery, um, so it's really a single administration into the brain, into the area of the brain that's the primary site of the neuropathology of Huntington's, which is called the striatum. Now, the striatum are these two gray matter structures called the caudate and putamen. And if you look at the human brain, there is either deep gray matter and then there's superficial gray matter. And it's gray because that's where the nerve cell bodies are. So by a neurosurgical procedure where we put a small um, hole into the skull, about 4.5 millimeters in most cases, um, and then with a catheter, and that's the other thing about technology, the catheter itself has taken decades to actually um, uh, Mm -hmm. manufacture Mm -hmm. and, and perfect. And the physics behind delivering this drug is amazing. Um, this, this catheter tapers down to the size of a human hair and then uh, with a specialized pump delivers it into the gray matter by a very, very slow infusion under positive pressure. And what it does is that it gradually in, uh, increases the spaces between the neurons called interstitial space. And what it does is then gradually deliver it to almost the entire gray matter structure over a period of time without causing any swelling or changes in, you know, uh, pressure in the brain or anything like that. Then it transduces those cells and you remove the catheter. And then what it does is that the the AAV uh, delivers the micro hunting to the cell. And as I said before, then it kind of integrates in and then travels up to the cortex where there it works silencing um, the production of mutant Huntington protein. Yeah, it was so it it's so interesting you said that when I went to uh FDA, um the FDA I was reading I got to meet people, you know, I, I went when I first entered the room, they were introducing me. So this is people from Cber and from Cedar and this is device and I was like I didn't even think I was like, device, why are you, you know, and he explained to me, you know, the catheters that are used in, you know, if we use any in the brain for even like at that point, they were talking about CBER, so stem cells and this, that catheter has to go through the process of being proved, you know, proven yeah. safe and effect, uh, safety and tolerability yeah. as well. And I was like, I, to even think that, you know, a simple catheter has to go through the whole process as well of safety. Yeah, um, no, it's, the catheter um, itself, the whole process of delivering the neurosurgical technique um, it is pretty amazing, and, and I do remember when I was back at NIH in the early 1990s, uh, Dr. L. Ed Oldfield was actually using this process called convection-enhanced delivery with steel needles and glioblastoma multiforme. Mm-hmm. And in fact, one of our neurosurgeons that I'll be working with is an old friend of mine from NIH, uh, Russ Lonser at Ohio State, and he's been doing this now since the early 1990s. So there's a lot of experience in this technique. Um, and Huntington's mm-hmm. disease, of course, is the first gene therapy trial uh, ever. So this technique has not really been used in Huntington's disease. However, what I did was our team here has contacted a Dr. Jan Vesper in Dusseldorf, and he works on Huntington's patients uh, doing deep brain stimulation for the uh, movement mm-hmm. disorder. And he's done this on a couple hundred patients. So I got these neurosurgeons together, and now what they do is they're looking at scans in the cloud and coming up with virtual trajectories for the operation. So there's going to be a lot of pre-planning for these uh, individuals before we do anything uh, to make sure that we right. get, get it completely wow. right. And just the, just the MRI, the MRI scrubbed in with uh, Paul Lonzer, who's another one of our neurosurgeons at UCSF, 
and they can get this catheter within 0.1 millimeter of the target um, by real-time oh MRI guidance. So in the operating room, wow. they have an MRI, and they, they, mm-hmm. you can see on the screen where the catheter is going, and then they put a little bit of dye at the tip, and you can see the injection of the, of the, uh, the vector in, in, into the caudate and putamen. But that, just that alone was not possible five to ten years ago. So even though gene therapy has been around for a while, the delivery into the human brain, those techniques were not perfected yet, nor was the memory, you know, to do these images. I mean, I know 25 mm-hmm. years ago I was doing volumetric MRI uh, at NIH, and it, t- it took so much memory that you really couldn't do it um, on more than one patient at a time. But now it, you can do it on your laptop. Um, it, that's, yeah, it's so crazy how much they – and is the reason why it has to go so deep down is, is into the brain, into that the darker gray matter is when so it goes straight to the source or does our body like break it down like our, our immune system if it doesn't go all the way to where it's supposed to go? I, I know that yeah. sounds. That's a great, that's actually a great question um, about the immunogenicity of the AAV. So it's not a virus. It's adeno-associated virus serotype 5. And what's really interesting about this AAV5 virus is that when you look at, um, you know, evolution, and there's a thing called a phylogenetic tree. When you look at the other AAVs, they're, they're more advanced in the evolutionary structure. But if you look at AAV5, it's kind of like on its branch alone. And so the, the, the DNA makeup of AAV5 is very different than the other AAVs. And you're exposed to AAV usually as a child, um, and you develop these antibodies to the, to the capsid, they call it. Well, in AAV5, the, the frequency of antibodies is the lowest of any of the AAVs. Not only that, our, our data in both human beings, which we've tested many, many people for AAV antibodies, um, show that it is the lowest. In addition to that, in our hemophilia B trial, we find that neutralizing antibodies don't affect transgene expression. More importantly, there's no cell-mediated immunity. And that means there's no long-term immunity, like when you get a vaccine, you remember that you've been exposed to this. With mm-hmm. AAV5, mm-hmm. that does not happen. And that's distinctly different than the other AAVs, which is really advantageous not only for peripheral administration, but more so for injection into the brain, which is kind of immunologically privileged. So um, what, right. I had the, what we did, the people, we had the researchers here do is like look at the cerebral spinal fluid to see if we could find any antibodies to AV5 in any type of animal, and, and we have not been able to, to see that. So the immunogenicity is, is one reason why AAV5 is safe, and we've shown that in animal models and actually in, in large uh, human studies. The second thing, why go to the deep uh, gray matter? Well, if you look at years ago before they had MRI, um, if you put a CAT scan up of a patient that had a movement disorder, particularly chorea, and you saw caudate atrophy, and we used to call it Mickey Mouse ears on, on CT scan, um, that person had Huntington's disease because of the caudate atrophy. You don't see caudate atrophy in really any other neurodegenerative disease except for Huntington's, and especially any movement disorder. Hmm. So we do know from the old-time uh, neuropathological studies um, that the caudate and the, the caudate nucleus and the putamen are the deep ma- gray matter structures that contain these neurons called medium spiny neurons. And those neurons are the primary culprit that, you know, the primary target for mutant Huntington protein aggregation. 
So when you inject mm-hmm. it directly into that source, you kind of melt away or you, you, you cause these aggregations to, to go away because you're no longer, no longer producing bad Huntington protein. It actually seems to clear. And I say that because in, in transgenic animal models of Huntington's disease, when you do another imaging technique called magnetic resonance spectroscopy, when we put, uh, look at the, the butamen, which is the other gray matter structure in my set of Huntington's, we see that after treatment with AMT-130 or this vect- viral vector for Huntington's, we see a restoration of neuronal function um, in the putamen. Uh, we're going to be presenting that data um, in Palm Springs in a couple of weeks, I think it is, uh, called CH, the CHDN, CHDN meeting. Um, so uh, yeah. Blair Levitt, Dr. Blair Levitt is going to present that. But uh, to me, that alone, I mean, I'm not sure that happens in people, but we're going to do that in our clinical trial called MRS. And it becomes a critical, critical piece of information because if we can show that neurons are restored, after treatment, that, that would be beyond amazing. So that's the yeah. reason why we're injecting directly into So we know where it's going. The other thing is that we definitely want to know where this drug is going. So by the neurosurgical technique, we know exactly where it's going. We can visualize it. And all of our uh, monkey data, and we also did uh, transgenic pigs, which are very large animals. They're 220 pounds. With a, with a very large brain. When we do it in the Huntington disease model in the pig, we also show lowering of mutant Huntington in the deep gray matter structures as well as the, uh, the cortex. Wow, that's fantastic. Well, that I'm sure everyone will be like, I know that that meeting is a huge meeting for all, all scientists to come together. I've never gone to Palm Springs um, for the, the CHDI meeting, but uh, CHDI, is that the, the yeah. That's the one that Blair's presenting. Yeah. 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 Yeah, And um, so I'm sure everyone will be, it's it's such a great meeting because all these brilliant minds come together and share, share information. So that's awesome. This is being presented there and especially by Blair because he's so great. Um, Yeah. So let's, yeah, let's talk about the the press release. I know we kind of hit on it a little bit, um, but a big press release just came out about AMT 130. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, that was around January 22nd, I believe. Um, And, yeah, this is the first AAV gene therapy trial approved in Huntington's disease, which is is really a big deal for Unicure and Mm -hmm. I think for the whole advancement of the field to have, um, you know, several therapies available out there. And, you know, of course we're going to believe as our company that this is the best, and I do personally believe it's the best because we are hitting the, the gray matter target where the neuropathology starts, and our preclinical data is just um, uh, in, incredible. So the press release was really, you know, to show that we, we now have the FDA approval for our second gene therapy. Actually, yeah, second gene therapy. Um, the company does have a long history in gene therapy, so a lot of the processes that we use, particularly the gene therapy manufacturing process, are now, um, you know, truly been vetted. And so this is, this is a great time. So we spent a lot of time uh, uh, for years trying to perfect this process. So it's a major milestone for Unicure. And, you know, we're hoping that, you know, many of the Huntington's patients have been, that have been waiting generations for an effective therapy that, you know, we're here. And um, this phase one, two trial really is geared at looking at safety, tolerability, and efficacy. And again, a one-time treatment 
Um, and we're going to open yeah, several fantastic. sites in the United States. Yeah, one, several sites in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we're trying to go east coast, west coast, coast in the middle for the surgical sites. But we're also going to have other sites that will be non-clinical sites that refer in to these neurosurgical specialists. Uh, the whole idea, though, is to really train these neurosurgeons in this, this technique because it's not done by a lot of neurosurgeons at the present time. They do something similar, mm-hmm. like deep brain stimulation and Parkinson's and other movement disorders. But we really want to have this uh, group of neurosurgeons really perfect the, this procedure, start training other neurosurgeons even during phase one and two, and then by the time we get to the, the pivotal trial is that we'll have enough neurosurgeons throughout the U.S. and hopefully even in Europe to uh, offer this treatment uh, widely. Yeah. Wow. So um, the, as far as the AMT-130, we kind of talked about what it is a little bit. Um, can we talk about how it's different than the other potential um, treatments? One, it only is one dose. That's huge. Right. Um, yeah. I think that yeah. that's that's really huge for our community, uh, for the commitment of it. Um, but yeah. So what what can you explain to us a little bit more about um, how it differs? Yeah. So gene therapy, even years and years ago, in the ni- early 1990s and uh, NIH, we were using viruses to um, transduce uh, cells. So we would take the virus and we would genetically manipulate the virus so it wouldn't become infectious, and we would try to reduce the immunogenicity, et cetera. So AAV5, or adeno-associated adeno- virus type 5, this is like the culmination of almost 30 years of research uh, on different viral vectors. Um, and of course, I mentioned before, in our hands and the way we manufacture this uh, vector, we see um, no evidence of neutralizing, neutralization of the transgene by uh, you know, normal titers of AAV that are naturally present. We do know, of course, that if you inject a lot of AAV5, that you will neutralize some of the transgene, especially in the blood, but these are not present in normal people. Uh, the other thing that's important that's different is that there is a possibility, and we're studying this, is because we have no cell-mediated immunity, that there's no long-term immunity, that even if you do have AAV5 uh, antibodies, you could even, you know, several, say several years, say the therapy in 10 years, the therapy kind of wears off or, or wanes. You could, there's a possibility mm-hmm. that you could re-inject, and you may have to undergo what's called immunoabsorption or plasmapheresis to take those antibodies out, and you could possibly uh, re-administer. But right now, our, our, our experience with duration is that you have, it could last for up to eight years or more. Okay. We think uh, it's probably a lifetime. Okay. Wow. Okay. Yeah, so yeah the I was kind of wondering it, it, that, if it, yeah. if it could be re-injected. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it can be. We think, and we're working on that right now. We do know in, in primates we can. Um, we, we do okay. know that. Um, and that's because of the lack of cell-mediated immunity. The other AAVs, that's not the case. They, they have cell-mediated, immu- cell-mediated immunity. Okay. Wow. And so, um, and I know we talked a lot about there, a lot about the AMT-130. Is there anything we missed specifically on the AMT-30 that our, our listeners should know about? Yeah, I think the, 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 our preclinical data comes from a very large animal model as well as non-human primates and also all the mouse models. So in the mouse models, uh, we found that we can increase survival, we uh, decrease protein aggregation, uh, we have restoration of neuronal function, and more importantly, the phenotype uh, goes away. 
right? So they, you no longer have the movement disorder in the mice at least. So that, that, that's important mm-hmm. to, to know. Um, and also we do know exactly where this is going versus lumbar puncture where if you're trying to get it up to the brain, you don't know whether it's getting to deep gray or even to the cortex. Uh, the modeling is very mm-hmm. difficult, um, uh, especially when you try to compare adults to uh, babies or to uh, non-human primates. Yeah. And with with, with this, so like um, if, and I know this is, there's a lot of questions and these will be answered in the clinical trial, but so if someone is able to, so we get through and, and let the drug is, um, is found effective and safe and tolerable and we go through and it's available to, to our community. Is it something that they go and they get the dose, they have the surgery, and then they're watched like every year, or is is that something that's just not known yet? Is are they going to have to be under the care of a physician watching it over time, yeah. or how is that going to work? Yeah. So the trial is uh, slated as two cohorts. One is a low dose, one is a, a high dose. The low dose cohort is really the dose is made to lower mutant Huntington protein by 50% in the striatum and 25% in the cortex. And the high dose is 75% in the striatum and 50% in the cortex. So, of course, we're going to have these two-dose cohorts. The, the duration is 18 months. However, by FDA, okay. managed by the FDA with AAV that we have to follow people for five years. Of course, we'll go back okay. to the FDA at the, at, at, the, at the soonest point that we can and say, okay, we see signals here. Can we go ahead and, and do, do something different? Okay. Wow. Okay. Great. So do you guys have a timeline uh, yet of the phase one, two trial? Yeah. So we're screening this, you know, this, this court, this half of the year, uh, Q2 2019, first subject dose by Q3 2019. Uh, we expect to have initial safety data by the end of 2019. Uh, initial biomarker data prob- probably by Q- end of Q2 uh, 2020. And our last patient last visit for both cohort one and two, what the core study, the 18-month period, is Q2. Uh, I think it's 2022. 2022. Wow. I think so, yeah. This is so exciting. Oh, thank you guys so much for all that you're doing. And um, I can't believe that I, I, I haven't... I didn't know as much as I wish I would have looked more into this because it's blowing. It's it's actually so amazing, and I can't wait for the show to go out to our community because this brings so much hope. And it still has to go through a clinical trial, but um, the potential that this this therapy has for our community is is game changing. So thank you guys so much for for working on this and and doing this in HD. Our community definitely needs something. And uh, this would be amazing if this actually um, is able to come to to uh, therapy, come to market for us, and be able to be a potential therapy for our community. Um, is there any other information that you guys want to share uh, before we wrap yeah. up the show? Yeah, I mean, this is an incredible thing, and we kind of realize the first few patients to enroll in the trial will be kind of like astronauts because we're really traveling mm-hmm. into an unknown ter- medical territory. So these people have to be very brave, and we're looking forward to meeting these courageous people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, if anyone can do it, this community can. There, that is for sure. Um, they are definitely brave and and strong. Um, yeah. So I thank you both so much. I I know we just talked yeah. to Dr. Higgins, but uh, the the um, so Dr. But I'm going to mess up on his name. Malone, is that who's with us? Oh, yeah, Tom Malone. Yeah, Yeah, Tom Malone, yeah. Tom Malone. 
<laughs> so thank you both for, for coming on and uh, talking oh, you're with welcome. us today and sharing this information with our community. It really means a lot. And hopefully we get to meet you both in person someday. And uh, thank Great. you for all the work you guys are doing. Yes. And um, so you guys, uh, this is amazing, and I'm really excited to put this show out and, um, and for the community. Uh, the only updates I have is August 2nd. We, I mean, uh, not August 2nd. Oh, my goodness. March. March. It's coming. I wish it was August. We will be in yeah. Austin, Texas. Um, it's coming faster than I thought. In March 2nd, we will be in Austin, Texas for our Hype Day. This is a free event for all of AC community, uh, anyone in our community. We, um, we will serve breakfast and lunch. We have a great lineup of speakers. We have Dr. Varga, Janelle Hogan, Terry Tumpkin, um, uh, Genentech's coming to give an update. Um, we have... Um, uh, yoga going on, and um, it's just a great, it's going to be a great time for our community in the area to come together and um, have a great day. Uh, you guys can register on, uh, if you're in the area and you'd like to come to the event, you can register at www.helpforhd.org. Uh, um, there are still scholarships available. So if you have to travel outside the Austin area to make the event, we will pay for your hotel room. Um, so please know that that is available also on the website. It's on the second slider um, of the home page of the website. So if you go on there, it's a simple five questions, and uh, we can get you guys a room to make sure uh, you, if you have to travel so far, you don't have to travel twice in one day. Um, we will also be in Puerto Rico in May. Uh, just to let you guys know for that, if there's anyone in Puerto Rico, we will be going on May 11th. And then on August 10th, we will be in Wichita, um, Kansas. So we are very excited uh, for that event as well. And then we have just booked, and we are very excited to be in Las Vegas for our annual event that we wrap up the year. And um, that is October 12th at the Palace Station. Um, stay tuned. We'll have scholarships coming out and uh, more information to come about speakers. We'll have uh, Jimmy Pollard there and a whole bunch of uh, research updates going on. Um, we hope Unicure will come. We will definitely um, uh, try to get them on the schedule if they're available. And um, so we, uh, that's going to be a great event. I think that's all for now. Um, so tune in next week, same time, same place. Until then, have a safe week. Using an overpriced trash bag. Pricey, pricey, pricey. A bag that breaks. Whippy, whippy, whippy. Or a smelly bag. Stinky, stinky, stinky. Time to switch to hefty, ultra strong trash bags. Always at an ultra low price. Hefty, hefty, hefty. There are best bags yet, and they cost less than Glad Force Flex were sold head to head. So you'll be happy, happy, happy. Hefty, ultra strong with Arm and Hammer odor control. Available at Sam's Club. Hefty, hefty, hefty. Using an overpriced trash bag. Pricey, pricey, pricey. A bag that breaks. Whippy, whippy, whippy. Or a smelly bag. Stinky, stinky, stinky. Time to switch to hefty, ultra strong trash bags. Always at an ultra low price. Hefty, hefty, hefty. There are best bags yet, and they cost less than Glad Force Flex were sold head to head. So you'll be happy, happy, happy. Hefty, ultra strong with Arm and Hammer odor control. Available at Sam's Club. Hefty, hefty, hefty. Thank you.